Hey everybody, welcome to the official Screenwriting Podcast. I'm Adam Levenberg. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about the Equalizer and Jupiter Ascending. But first I want to give you a heads up that during the month of April I have a couple of appointments where I can do script consultations for half off. So if you've been thinking about doing a script consultation with me, this would be an optimal time. Just email me at thestarterscreenplay at gmail.com and we can uh, get you set up for that. All right. So I had a really good question from a client this week, and it was about the fact that there are so many damn TV shows happening and the world of streaming is exploding. And he asked, should I be writing pilots? And my answer to him was, and this is one of those things where this is much more my opinion than it is based in fact, but my answer to him was no. Uh, I think that even though there are many, many, many more outlets that are creating television programming than there were 10 years ago, and it's important to delineate scripted episodic television, which is what is out there, and also the short little videos that some people make on their own. BuzzFeed makes tons of videos that are two minutes long. Some people have their own channels on YouTube. I sort of separate all of that out into its own category. When it comes to scripted television, yes, there are a lot more places that are buying. However, it really is a market for people who are already established inside of the entertainment industry because the running of a television show is dependent on running a television show week in, week out, overseeing a staff. These are things that work best for people who have already done it and who have worked inside the system. All right, moving on. Last night I had dinner with a friend whose script I read. And this is somebody who's working in entertainment but not doing uh, screenwriting. But he's been writing for a very long time. And uh, he has written a script. He has a lot of people around him who he can go to, such as myself, to say, hey, what do you think of my script? Um, and get a lot of feedback on. And I got the feeling that he's gotten feedback from at least seven to ten people on this script. Because he talked about how women reacted differently than men did and blah, blah, blah. Um, let me just share with you my general thoughts or what I felt about this meeting. So let me tell you the number one thing that my friend did wrong. Uh, I show up with my laptop. I have notes on his PDF. I have a separate set of notes to talk about that are sort of more general things. And he's sitting there and he's listening to me go through these without writing anything down. And, you know, that is the absolute worst thing that somebody can do. Whenever you are having a meeting, when somebody has taken the time to read your material, and I don't want to make it seem like it was like offensive to me, but I was actually sort of surprised that that was how he was handling himself because that's not what you do when you're getting notes. You know, we spent 90 minutes talking about his scripts. A lot of the things that I talked about, he was not interested in. Now, I should say that this script is wildly uncommercial and it was a passion project and it's something he's thought about for way too long, as he knows. Um, and, you know, he was trying to do certain things that did not quite mesh with the demands of a feature film screenplay, which is fine. Um, but yet he's at the level where he can write well enough that there still are things to talk about. It's, okay, let's talk about what you were trying to do here, how that meshes with the way that things probably ought to be, and if there's any sort of happy medium between the two. But in this case, he didn't fucking write anything down. He just sat there and listened. 
and interacted with me on on the notes. But, you know, eventually I was like, what the fuck is he doing this for? Like, that's not how you conduct yourself in a notes meeting, regardless of the formality or lack of formality about it. And that's for your own benefit. It's not that I'm offended that he didn't take everything that I said as gospel, because believe me, if I said three things over the dinner that he was actually interested in doing, I would be surprised. Like, he really seems to know what he wants to do with this thing, and it wasn't up to me to sort of convince him otherwise, because there's there's nothing at stake. He hasn't been paid for it. He knows that there's probably nobody out there who wants to buy it, and it was just something that he wanted to finish and do well, and he did in some respects. But you don't not write shit down because you're not going to remember what people say. You're not going to remember some of the ideas that are thrown out. There's going to be things that you might not agree with on the surface because you're being told things about your script. There's going to be things that you disagree with or that you don't think will work. And that's actually where the biggest tragedy comes in this situation because if he had recorded the meeting, which I highly recommend doing, that is like the number one thing that you should always do. You should say to the person, look, can we record this? Do you mind? Because there's, you can only write so fast. And if you're recording, you can actually go back later and take notes. And I think, or I found through my consultations, and it took me a long time to get here, that um, the, the best possible outcome is for writers to record the notes meeting and to not be typing everything out or not be writing everything out. Because if you're writing everything out, you're not engaging. You're just desperate to sort of capture whatever is being said to you. And you're only even going to receive a portion of that. You know, you're not going to dictate the entire meeting into your laptop. So my recommendation is record your notes meetings. Let the person know that they're being recorded so that they don't say anything inappropriate or anything they wouldn't want recorded. But um, let them know that you're recording and then engage with them because during that time that you're not typing, you can ask them questions. You can sort of get into it with them and create a dialogue. And to me, that is where all the best stuff happens. That's where problems are solved. That's where you can utilize the people who have read your script and want to provide you notes. That's where you can utilize them. That's where you get them functioning on a higher level. You know, one of my biggest complaints about all of the screenwriting services that are out there is that you're not interacting with the people. The, you buy a service from a company, they email your script to somebody, that person provides a notes document based on your script, they email it to the service, the service emails it to you, and the person who read your script has no idea what it is that you were trying to do. All they can see is where you were wrong or where things didn't work. And sometimes the intention of the writer just needs to be expressed verbally because it doesn't quite come through on the page. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do in a script, when a writer says, no, but that's in there, my favorite thing to do is not to be like, no, it's not, because that's, that's wrong. It usually is in there. However, sometimes it's broken up over dialogue over the course of four or five pages. And, you know, my job as a consultant is then to say, oh, okay, well, let's look at that. Okay, do you see why I missed that? And then we can talk about, well, what's the way we can just put this in one scene or marry this dialogue together so that it's clear? And here's the other thing that happened. And, and this is sort of where I'll leave it. Um, he had originally written a 180-page first draft. Now, this is something that you hear about great screenwriters sometimes doing. And I've heard about things like a vomit draft. 
It is a horrible, horrible idea. Here's why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because 180 pages suggests that you haven't done the architectural work to begin with. It suggests that you haven't quite figured out how your script is going to operate. And writers who are not yet at a professional level don't do well with that. They just don't do well throwing up ideas in screenplay format. A beat sheet is the place to do that. A treatment is the place to do that. A whiteboard or chalkboard is the... You know, there was so much in this script that actually worked, but that was in the wrong places. And a screenwriter who's trying to aspire to the level of being a professional should probably have all of these pieces assembled beforehand so that you know, no, this is where the girl has to meet the guy. It has to be in the first act. And this is how the scene has to go down. And they have to talk about the thematic stuff that's going on in this script because they have to disagree because if they're love interest then they have to disagree about something. So let's get that Let's get that uh, argument going in their first meeting, which has to be in the first act, not on page 45. And what I left my friend with was what I recommend to the writers here who listen to the podcast. Talk to somebody. If I'm the only person you can talk to, then great. Talk to me. If you have other resources like this writer does, talk to them also. Because what he said to me was, look, I have sort of already started working on my new script. I have some ideas for it. I said, well, how far into it are you? And he said, one scene. So I was like, okay, dude, here's what you need to do. You have all these people around you who are professionals from various elements of the industry, but who actually sort of know what they're doing. Take advantage of that now. Don't write another screenplay and then throw it out to 10 different people and start taking notes and start altering things. And like, that's not... That's not real. It's not process. It's not the way that somebody who's going to end up with a, a feature film made of their script does it. Because there's so many ways that you can go wrong before you start doing it. And if you have a passion project you need to write, then that's one thing. Then you go out there and do it. Because you don't want people to say, don't do this. Um, but if you have something that you think is going to work, you got to get some feedback on it before you try to write it. So that's what I suggest. If you have people around you, use those people before you start writing the screenplay. And if you don't, hire me or somebody like me to talk to you about your concept. I offer a $99 concept consultation. The amount of time that is saved and the amount of ideas that are never written. You know, I, I know that sometimes I shoot down ideas. Sometimes the ideas don't work. Or I'll say, look, these are the elements that you probably need to figure out before you can write. And the writer never comes up with those ideas or can never satisfy that. That's okay because they didn't spend eight months of their life working on something that wasn't ever going to work. Um, and sometimes, you know, my favorite thing is when people send me like eight or nine log lines and I can pick out the one or two that we really need to talk about. I'll always talk about every single one and why I think certain things don't work or what needs to be achieved. But my favorite thing is to say, no, this is the one that actually has something special in it. Let's talk about that and really sort of put the writer on a path. All right, moving on to the equalizer. I think that you can't go wrong when you're dealing with incredibly intelligent characters. And the equalizer, the premise of it is that Denzel Washington plays a retired and in hiding black ops. I don't know if it's CIA, NSA, but he was basically a badass assassin who 
did the things that our government doesn't want to admit that they're doing, and is now sort of in hiding in retirement. Uh, he works at the Home Depot under an assumed identity. He has a meticulous, tiny little apartment in the middle of nowhere, um, and they give him a couple of superhero qualities, one of which is that he does not sleep. We never see him sleep. He, And I forget if the end of the movie we see him get to go to sleep, but it probably would have been a nice ending. Um, that would have been a note that I would have thrown out there because that would have shown some character development for whatever reasons, the stuff that keeps him up at night is no longer keeping him up. I don't think that they did that in the movie. It's been several months since I've seen it. One of the other elements is that he's like the Sherlock of murder. He basically can look around a room, see all of the potential threats, objects that are at his disposal and use all of those to kill whoever is in the room. So anyway, uh, Denzel spends his nights in a diner, sitting out, hanging out, reading classic literature. In this case, it's The Old Man and the Sea. And he befriends a young prostitute played by Chloe Moretz. He very quickly realizes that this prostitute is probably underage. I forget if the movie goes there, if they give an age, but she's definitely probably not 18. He sees that she's being beaten up because she comes in with bruising and stuff like that. And then she's put in the hospital. Uh, by a client and Denzel goes to her pimp and says, I want to buy her freedom and hands the pimp a stack of cash. Now this pimp happens to be a Russian mobster. And you know, the interesting thing about that is that, and that's something that the screenwriters understood. It's that good guys in movies tend to provide an offer of an out before they resort to violence. You know, the difference between good guys and bad guys in movies, all, both of them tend to be incredibly violent uh, in these genres. But the good guy will always offer you an out. And that's one of my favorite things in, like, Tom Cruise movies. You'll very often see that. Where he... I remember this scene in Jack Reacher where he's surrounded by a bunch of much younger guys who are all sort of muscle heads. And he says to them, look, guys, you want to walk away from me. Do not force me to do what I'm going to have to do if you take one step closer to me. And that's sort of what happens here where Denzel offers the guy cash. It's the... I'm going to give you my hard-earned money to buy this girl's freedom. And the, the mobster basically throws the money in his face and says, fuck you, I make more off this girl in a weekend than you've offered me here with $10,000. So Denzel, of course, kills every motherfucker in the room. It's awesome. He kills somebody with a shot glass, I think. He sees a shot glass, shoves it into somebody's eye. Like, he is the Sherlock of murder. He takes out five dudes, like, bam, 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 bam. And that creates a problem for him because now the Russian mafia wants to know who took out their team because they send the most badass Russian mobster ever to come figure out who killed their guys and to take him down. And you have Denzel going up against this Russian mobster who is an ice cold badass. He is every bit as lethal as Denzel is, except he doesn't have a heart. So here was my one issue with the movie that I think is a lesson that you can take from it. They don't make the prostitutes smart enough. Denzel is literally putting his life on the line for this young girl. And the thing is that they have to give her a dream or an aspiration. You know, she's not a crackhead. And, and I know that all people have value and it would be nice to say, well, she's a teenage prostitute and therefore she doesn't have any agency um, or ability to control her own life. And, and all of that, of course, is true. But ultimately, you want the character to be endowed with value so that we understand why somebody would put their life on the line in order to save her. And in this case... 
the dream or aspiration she has is to be a singer. And at one point she gives Denzel a demo of her CD. She wants him to hear her singing, which is great. And maybe that, maybe the way that they thought of it was, well, the idea of becoming a music superstar is such a ridiculous idea that it helps keep this girl's age down in the mind of the audience, that it makes her seem young and naive. And we need that for this character. But I want to go a little bit further and suggest that you can never go wrong by making your characters intelligent unless, you know, their stupidity is playing into a plot in a comedy. Here, the way that they could have expressed her intelligence and endowed this character with value, which I don't think that they did, is that she could have talked to Denzel about the book that he was reading. If she had simply read The Old Man in the Sea, the book that she, she ha talks to him about it a little bit. Like, they interact on it. Oh, what's that book you're reading? But it's, it, she has not read it. Um, but if she had, it would have said so much about this girl. And how do you put a cherry on top of that? What if she told him something that he wasn't quite aware of? What if she understood something? And by the way, this is not deep analysis that you need to do. You just need to open the cliff notes of the book and find something where she understands a metaphor that's in the book that he hadn't quite thought of yet or hadn't gotten to thinking about. You know, the other way that you can play that scene is that she could correct him where, you know, once he's interacting with her about the book because she's read it, he can say something and she can go, well, no, 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 that's, that's just a metaphor. Or don't you see that this is dot, dot, dot. Whatever it is, she could sort of checkmate him or they could have a debate. They could have an active debate about what they think is happening inside of this story. And that's something that doesn't happen. And the result of that is a character that he's willing to put his life on the line for, but that I kind of, I just would have been, have liked to have been more on board for it. And I think the way that you do that is that you provide the girl that he's willing to give his life up for with some value. In any case, real quickly, Jupiter Ascending. I saw it and, but here's what I want you to watch for. The premise is that this housemaid played by Mila Kunis, she's a New York tough-talking maid, she cleans toilets, and it turns out that she has royal blood, but not just sort of royal family of England blood, this is intergalactic royal blood. And endowed with that are some powers that have not yet developed, because she hasn't sort of gotten in tune with uh, her her station, I guess. And one of the other royals is trying to have her killed because she is sort of next in line to inherit a planet. She's essentially the ruler of Earth. She just doesn't know it. And we have these overlords who are rulers of various planets, kind of in the way that if you have a backyard, you are the ruler of all the ant colonies there. They don't really know about you you don't really even think about them necessarily, but they're on your property. And if you choose to water the lawn, they're going to have some problems. So in any case, we have these intergalactic rulers who own planets the way that some families own buildings. Um, and one of them wants Mila Kunis dead because she is next in line to inherit Earth. So Channing Tatum, I forget how he comes in, but he's a splice, as he says. He's more dog than man. Uh, he comes in to save her ass. And she then is brought to this other planet where she finds out more about her 
lineage and her powers and so forth. But here's the thing. She basically spends most of the movie as a damsel in distress. She does not really develop her own tools uh, as an action hero. And the result of that is that she is constantly waiting for Channing Tatum to come and rescue her. That is a problem. It's really hard to get on board with that in a movie. And, you know, I'm kind of sad because the takeaway may be, and luckily there's enough happening out there in terms of the Ghostbusters script with female Ghostbusters. Oh, quick note on that, by the way. Apparently they're going to turn Ghostbusters into a universe. There are going to be other Ghostbusters movies that are happening, not just the female one. I think that is fucking brilliant. Um, And luckily also there's a lot of Marvel properties where there will be female action uh, franchises. But for now, we have Jupiter Ascending, and the problem there is that she doesn't develop as an action hero. She doesn't develop as somebody who can rescue herself or even put her on the path to that. And I think that, you know, this movie had a lot of problems and there were extensive reshoots. It was delayed by over a year. And the funny thing is that for all of the things that they probably thought they were going back to reshoot, I don't think they dealt with what the core problem was, which is that you have a hero at the center, Mila Kunis, who simply is just not on a path to be her own Luke Skywalker. And if she is, they were saving that shit for later. And you can't do that. You don't have to have her be Neo. You don't have to have her be endowed with superpowers, be able to crack the system on his own, be able to be the leader. But you do have to show her in a way of becoming that. And the Wachowskis didn't do that in this case, because up until the very end, Mila Kunis is about to marry somebody that she shouldn't be marrying, because he's basically just going to murder her as soon as she says, I do. And he can then inherit her land or her earth. That's all for this week. Remember, you can hire me to read your script for half price during April. I have a limited amount of those consultations available. You can email me at thestarterscreenplay at gmail.com, where you can also email me with any questions. You can email me with questions about the industry, about writing, or about my consultations. You know, I'm happy to talk to people on the phone uh, so that they get a good idea about how that works and what their particular situation is before they hire me. You can also buy my book, The Starter Screenplay, on Kindle or in print at Amazon.com. I'm Adam Levenberg. Thanks for listening.